This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for February 23rd, 2016. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show, we brace ourselves for the Dota 2 Shanghai Major Group Stage. We'll also be taking a look at the NALCS and its expectation-confounding season. But first, Fnatic won the Barcelona CSGO Invitational this weekend over Astralis Gaming, the former Team Solomid Counter-Strike team. Uh, Rob, I, I feel like at, like at this point, is it is it really news that Fnatic won another Counter-Strike tournament? Like, does it doesn't even, even care anymore? Uh, you know, maybe not. But that's actually kind of what interests me about this victory, <laughs> uh, is, is that... So this was kind of an this was kind of an exhibition tournament to begin with, uh, sure. but there were a lot of really good teams there. It was an invitational, uh, so it was you know it, it was still some really good good Counter Strike. And that final that Fnatic had against Astralis was a lot of fun. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what really jumped out at me uh, is that now there's this entire like weird meta layer to Fnatic's victories. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen like a more pro wrestling moment in esports. <laughs> Uh, with the possible exception of Naniwa asking Polt why he was being a bitch. Um, with the possible exception of that moment uh, at an MLG a few years ago. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen a more like um, a, a team, you know, a take take to the role of the heel so much as Fnatic yeah. seemed to have done. Oh, I'm so excited to hear this. I missed the, I missed the final of this tournament. What, what, what happened? So right after Fnatic wins, and it's, it's it was a, it was a great final, and uh, I want to talk about that in Astralis in a second. Um, but once they won, Fnatic come up to the uh, stage for the trophy presentation, and there's the winners interview, and they all just like look completely. <laughs> just completely like nonplussed, like almost disinterested in the fact they just won a, won the tournament. And the interviewer goes up to uh, JW, who had a hell of a game. And he's asking JW, like, you know, it seems like your your team kind of uh, won won a few rounds they shouldn't have, and and really pulled out some uh, some surprising wins. Uh, sure. and, and JW is just like, we are fanatic. That is what we do. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, and you you had some really big plays too. Uh, you you know you you have that great that that great knife. Uh, you know, and JW just looks at him. He's like, I am JW. <laughs> So then, okay, no, so, so JW no. is like almost trolling the interviewer, or, or maybe, his, oh, maybe his English isn't that great. I mean, that, that could also be the issue, but either way, he's not giving the interviewer much to work with, except he's really like, oh, of course we're awesome. It's self-evident. So the interview shifts to Olaf Meister, uh, who, who's kind of the, the, the head guy there and kind of the voice for Fnatic. Um, and Olaf Meister, <laughs> Olaf Meister basically says, and this is right after they've narrowly won this tournament. It's been a really dramatic sure, tournament yeah. and everything. Uh, and Olaf Meister basically says, "Oh yeah, we played terribly this week. This weekend, <laughs> uh, I don't even think like we, we weren't even good." Um, <laughs> he was like, "So, so really, uh, like we, you know, we weren't even good this tournament, uh, which means that." In two weeks, we're competing at Katowice, uh, and we will be on our game for that. Uh, so I don't really know what the other teams are going to do. <laughs> oh my god! So like the, the crazy thing about this is that like it's it's not like bragging really. It's just self awareness. It's true. 
Like, there's nothing false about that. They didn't play that well this weekend. And they are probably going to mop the floor with everybody. And so, like, this is, like, an actual comment to kind of beware for these other teams. Like, what do you, what are you going to do? Like, how do you actually beat this team? Because, like, when JW mentioned, it just says, like, well, that's what we're fanatic. That's what we do. He's not wrong either. Like, that is exactly what they do. They're just a better five-man squad than anybody else. And they kind of just choke people out of the tournament and just push them out, like, mathematically and, like, geo- like just perfectly. Yeah, and what... What I sort of enjoyed about that entire exchange with, uh, up there on the main stage was that esports desperately needs sometimes a little bit of showmanship, a little oh, help sure. constructing these narratives. Like we yeah. we're all familiar with those. Some you know there there have been some tournaments like with 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 truly like tragic uh, attempts to create like smack talk between StarCraft pros, right? Oh, of course. Where you have yeah. two like eminently shy, polite Korean kids being encouraged to like badmouth each other on the stage so you have like in control they're like shoving a mic in their face just imploring them to say something mean and what you get instead is like i really want to show good games for my fans Uh, (laughs) and there's there's a little less of that in uh there's there's a little less of that in in counter-strike and i think shooter culture in general is a little more confrontational absolutely but what i like is that fanatic Fnatic have kind of become your perfect dominant team, right? Because here's the thing. I loved watching Fnatic win this win this weekend. I love watching Fnatic w- pull out these rounds. At the same time, right after that interview, I would have happily donated two weeks pay to see someone just slaughter this team. <laughs> like, and, and so really, like, Fnatic, are, that, Fnatic are, are in that position where, like, you kind of yeah. win either way. You have to watch them because, A... When they win, it's it's kind of amazing, right? It's like the New England Patriots yeah. when like when Tom Brady and that offense get clicking, it's kind of unstoppable. It's an amazing thing to watch as they just sort of demolish another really good team. But then the flip side of that is if they don't pull out the miracle or if they get humiliated, there's part of you that like will it will enjoy that. And Fnatic yeah. are totally embracing that too, because they're absolutely setting themselves up as this team that sort of swaggers onto the main stage and like just take out these these really great teams and and dominate these these really elite tournaments uh w- with the air of a bunch of like guys just like punching a clock for a shift at the factory. Yeah. Yeah. And so what this actually reminds me the most of is, is um when when Team Secret showed up at the International Five and they all walked oh into the God. arena wearing black sunglasses, like totally owning the heel role of this whole tournament. And then they got kind of obliterated. I think they came in like eighth place or something like that. And so, you know, Fnatic is in a position, I think, where they've been so dominant that if they lost at this upcoming tournament, no one would really hold it against them and say like, oh, well, you called your shot and then it didn't work out for you guys. Like, no, they're clearly still an incredible, incredible team who has done something that is very rare in any esport ever. Um, but yeah, like when Team Secret tried it, they just got they got slapped down and then suddenly they were just humbled and embarrassed. So this kind of thing can backfire, but I do think that, that Fnatic has this you know, backbone of accomplishment that no matter really what happens, they're really kind of okay. And all it really does for them is establish this this storyline that they get to be a part of. Like, this is something that I have been hoping that esports teams would do for a long time, which is like, you know, stop always trying to be the good guy who everybody in the crowd roots for. Try to just create a storyline, create a narrative, and 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 be the bad guy once in a while. Be the be the uh, the the team that walks in with black sunglasses. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and. I think it's important, like, be the bad guy in the sense that Fnatic is the bad guy, which is like they're they're kind of like they're they're 
they're confident to the point of arrogance, and at this point, they've sort of embraced their own greatness. Don't be like the bad boy sort of in the Naniwa <laughs> meeting where yeah, sure. it's like, I'm oh, yeah. not going to compete in this tournament. Uh, there's it's it's a fine line uh, you you've got to walk. But the other thing right. about this tournament is um, that final was like one of the most fanatic finals I've I've ever seen. Uh, I I I debated whether I was even going to watch it because it's Sunday morning, right? And I've got a lot of work to do, and it's like, okay, it's fanatic versus Astralis. And Astralis have actually really come along, uh, like in the last month. Suddenly, they are really uh, making deeper runs into tournaments and, and beating teams that a few months ago I would say were, were certainly better. Uh, Astralis is the former Team Solo mid team, uh, so TSM had I think a, a pretty decent like spring and summer last year, and then they just kind of like dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, and now they've resurfaced as Astralis, and uh, yeah. they're, they're doing well. And frankly, I think for that team in particular, it had a lot to do with just sort of like back office or like front office woes because they were going back and forth like they were team solo mid and then they had to become team question mark. And when they was when they were team question mark, when they were solo by themselves, that they really started to struggle. Uh, and now that they're on their uh, under the brand of team Australis, they seem to have kind of stabilized. Maybe now that they have to, they can actually focus on their game a little bit more, perhaps. Yeah, I think it can never, it's never a good thing when you're, when you're sort of represented on, on team liquid with the, with the series of question marks <laughs> and you're like, yeah. <laughs> this is a roster without a team, uh, and, I, and I do kind of wonder what the situation uh, was there between them and, and TSM management, but they, they seem uh, healthier now, and they're showing really, really good games, and their they're, they're two games against Fnatic, uh, it, was kind of, it was kind of sort of a best of three, uh, just because of the way this knockout tournament structure worked out. Uh, over the course of the, the, the two maps they played against Fnatic... Uh, the, a total of five rounds separated the two teams. Mm, uh, so yeah. it was two really, really close maps. And it was really impressive because, like, the last map, uh, Fnatic just started slaughtering Astralis. And, like, that's kind of when I when I tuned in and I was like, I'm not sure I want to continue watching this. Like, I, like yeah. I've seen the story. I'm tired of watching yeah. Fnatic doing this. I'm, I'm going to go do something else. But... Thank God, I sort of left it open in the background, and I started mm -hmm. watching Astralis sort of claw its way back, and eventually like tie the round uh, before the flip. Yeah. And the flip put uh, Fnatic on the terrorist side on the uh, Inferno map, uh, which I gather is is a that is a position they're they're very good at uh, on that map. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, like things are looking pretty bad for Astralis, and yeah, Astralis were were actually like hanging tough and actually had Fnatic really on the ropes like Astralis were were only like I think four or five rounds away from match point uh and they had wiped out the the uh the Astralis economy uh so like Astralis had to do an eco round right and at that point they you know there was only gonna be three rounds to to match point or something you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and make a, a, a bold statement, even though I actually haven't watched <laughs> watched this tournament. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, it, it may not make sense uh, in retrospect. You can tell me if it doesn't. But, like, I feel like this is kind of the classic Fnatic win. And you almost wonder if they're even that nervous when the matches get so close. Like, we look at this this thing and we say, like, oh, it's uh, it was... Um, Fnatic won 16 to 13 and then 16 to 14. It was really, really close. But like, it seems like Fnatic, they know what rounds it's okay to lose. They know what rounds they need to win. And they're, they're really, really good at just doing the mathematics to put together 16 
round wins and come away with the with the map victory like it, it just seems like they're always completely in control and they're always going to it's like um like in the Tour de France or something like that. Like you'd ever see a bicyclist get, you know, 18 miles ahead of the rest of the crew. They're always just like 10 feet in front of them because they know they're going to win. Yeah. They know what's going on and how to win that match. Um, it feels like Fnatic does that sometimes. Yeah, and and I think they, they probably still had a decent strategy uh, from that eco round. But the thing is that, that they weren't supposed to do was actually win the eco round. Uh, <laughs> but... You know, the, and I think the the real question I have is regarding if Fnatic even get nerves uh, at this point. Yeah. Because one of them, like, they can always count on somebody doing something ridiculous. Uh, and so, like, <laughs> everyone's going to be playing at a high level. But mm-hmm. it takes the, whatever team they're facing, it takes them pretty much everything they've got to sort of sustain that effort, to sort of sustain uh, that, that sort of round-for-round round exchange uh, with Fnatic. And then Fnatic knows that probably... In a you know over the course of thirty rounds of Counter Strike, uh, <laughs> one or two of their team members is just going to suddenly ha- turn in a an explosive yeah. performance, and that's what happened yeah. in the eco round where uh, Dennis uh, Dennis ends up uh, he guns down uh, he catches one of the fanatic uh, players uh, uh, you know by surprise guns him down picks up his uh, M4 rifle. And then runs around, uh, kills another member uh, of of uh, Astralis, plants the bomb, and then he he makes like he's running away to sort of keep the weapon. And uh, so you know, good job, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, You've got yeah. an expensive weapon. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a good uh, CT weapon. Uh, and this is the part where everyone always just goes off and hides. And you know, you've given up the round, but hey, you got the bomb plant. You got a good weapon, and yeah, you got a lot yeah. of money now. You're in a great position. And clearly, Astralis thought that's what's about to happen. Uh, and then Dennis <laughs> just decides, like, even the announcers are like, ah, this round is over. Okay, good job for Fnatic. They're going to they're yeah, gonna claw yeah, yeah. us back. And then Dennis, like, just sort of, like, he, he, almost like the head swivel, right? Like, he does a double take where he's like, no, I don't think I want to run. <laughs> and so he doubles back around and steps out into the alley on the other side of the uh, bomb plant site and catches two Astralis guys out in the open uh, at long range <laughs> and just... Like machine guns them both down, yeah. uh, and at that point, like he'd wiped out the team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they'd won the eco round completely, uh, and that sort of uh, you know I felt like that was a thing that was going to sort of put Astralis on tilt. They didn't. They actually bounced back pretty quickly, and Fnatic had to do another eco round, yeah. and then they won that. Uh, <laughs> that time, That's what they do, man? That time because. Uh, Astralis were in a really good defensive position, uh, and they had a guy sort of tucked behind a, a tall crate who was going to be able to gun down anyone coming into his field to fire uh, over across this courtyard. And uh, JW just sort of intuits that he's going to be there and gets out his knife and <laughs> jumps oh, in I front of him. This. Yeah, he, he he sort of jumps in front. Of uh, I think it was Carrigan uh, behind the behind the behind the um, crate, and Carrigan uh, starts shooting, but he's not fast enough. The knife kills him, uh, and that's uh, that was, so that rare. Counter Strike too, so rare to see those knife kills. Like like hero moments like that aside, though, like the thing that strikes me the most when I, when I look at the stats uh, from both of these two games that Fnatic played against Australis, like almost everybody on each team 
is hovering right around like a neutral kill death ratio. And what that says to me is like this is just a team, like two teams, uh, ten guys who are all just playing really strongly. Like no weak links in the chain. Like no you know heroes who are pulling along a limping team like we're really accustomed to seeing from like Navi or occasionally from uh, Envious. But like two just five man squads who are just really strong and really tight-knit crews that are all pulling their weight. And that that's just really fun to see from a team like Australis and because we're used to seeing it just from Fnatic. And so that's actually really, uh, I think, a good sign uh, from Australis as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it, it, it played out that way. Like, nobody was, was really lagging. Uh, I, I do think it's impressive, though, that, like, I want to say it was Flusha uh, mm-hmm. who actually turned in a, a pretty overall, like, you know, really positive performance uh, in mm-hmm. terms of the, the KD uh, ratio, which it doesn't tell you the whole story. But sure. again, it's one of those things where Flusha, I don't think, had any huge like. <sighs> it was one of those things where he was turning in a really, really great performance, and it got overshadowed by these hero moments his teammates had. Yeah, uh, and and clutch plays certainly count for a lot more than just a, a slightly more positive KDA over over the course of a sure. uh, course of a round. But at the same time, like it's one of those things where you know when you have a guy like that sustaining really high performance, you know it's it's setting up those big moments uh, for other players to sort of you know carry the team over the top to the win. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully that's this is like tidings of things to come for for team australis and they can be kind of that that second tier team that we've always wanted uh, to see uh, in professional counter-strike uh but, but speaking of the the, the solo mid organization which australis used to be uh you know i don't want to bring up sore subjects or anything but if we're talking about league of legends for a second i i can't help but notice that team immortals uh are undefeated in the north american lcs a division that i seem to recall that you and our guest taylor cock predicted would be dominated by team solo mid uh should we maybe go back and talk about this a little and uh some of the reasons why you were both so catastrophically wrong well there's a lot to unpack in your question andrew um okay so there's there's a few things one i think if we were to go back and listen to the tape uh there were a lot of i i I think there were a lot of caveats uh, around okay. all of our predictions. In fact, Taylor sure. even joked. Taylor even joked that TSM were actually going to suck it up. Uh, this this <laughs> uh, the, this split, uh, and then and then we also took it back because TSM just had too much talent, too many good players uh, for things to not sure. turn out that way. Sure. Okay, so things are turning out that way, uh, <laughs> and it's uh, it, it's a hard thing for me to. I don't feel like. I don't understand why this has happened as much. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I feel like there are there are a few issues. Uh, I'm not sure the double lift yellow star pairing has uh, turned out nearly as well uh, as as people hoped. I think Taylor said that he he, uh, he may have said this off the air, but you know he sort of joked that he suspected that you know that was these were two old veterans, uh, you know, really experienced, also probably a fair bit of ego. Uh, would mm-hmm. they actually get along? Because uh, that that is a relationship that needs to be like Jordan Pippen, right? Like yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That that bottom lane pairing probably more than anywhere else uh, in a team that has to have a degree of really good chemistry and trust. Absolutely. And I'm not sure that that's really coming together uh, for for TSM. I, but then at the same time though, so so TSM played Cloud Nine uh, this weekend, and it was an amazing it was an amazing uh, match. Uh, they 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 had Cloud Nine on the ropes, and Cloud Nine managed this really perfect defense, which um, 
you know, if you watch a lot of a lot of League of Legends, I think sometimes these games can feel a little boring because once a team is sort of in a siege, it's -hmm. actually really rare for a team to break out of a siege. It's a bit like Dota, right? Like you just get a sense where it's like, okay, from this position, unless something goes really wrong, uh, this is going to unfold pretty much by the numbers, right? You're gonna yeah. you're gonna take down yeah. the take down the mid lane tower, uh, and then you're gonna knock out the uh, you know the inhibitor or the barracks, and then you're gonna pull back, you know, get some more gold, rebuy, and then you're gonna come out and do it again somewhere else, uh, and the position is just going to erode, and that's where where TSM had Cloud Nine, and uh, Cloud Nine managed this really perfect defense and timed it they they made it look like they were about to yield the uh the inhibitor they couldn't defend it and they let it get get down to like it had to have been like a handful of hit points like like five ten hit points they had nothing (laughs) left and that is the moment they turned around and re-engaged oh that's so cool completely destroyed uh team solomon Oh, I love it. I had to go get that game tape. Yeah, it's it's it, it felt super good, uh, and it was it was really remarkable. And 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 a lot of the credit went to um, you know Cloud 9s uh, balls had Gangplank, and he was uh, he has Gangplank has a, a huge AOE attack that mm-hmm. if you can yeah. force a team to fight under it, uh, mm-hmm. you'll just put down a tremendous amount of damage. Sure. Uh, they also snared and stunned pretty perfectly to make sure that nobody could escape. And at that point, like the game went to even. Uh, and 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 it you know Cloud Nine suddenly had a chance to get back into the game. They still had their inhibitor up. They could go back on the map and uh, you know start retaking position. But I think what what surprised me is I also didn't feel like the calls coming off of Team Solomid were particularly great. Mm. Um, and that sort of comes down to Yellowstar. So, like it has to be Yellowstar because sure. he's sort of he is the shot caller. He's he's sort of renowned for shot calling. And he got, you know, TSM at that point spent a surprisingly long time grouped up in a, in a, um, in, in some brush along the mid lane. Um, and, and certain, you know, time is money, time is position in, in League of Legends. And oh, admittedly yeah. at this stage, like it was, it was, it was, pre, it was like 45 minutes into the match. No, sorry, it was like 50 uh, minutes, 55 minutes into the match. Uh, it was pretty late, so position doesn't matter quite as much. But at the same time, mm-hmm. like they were spending a lot of time waiting to 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 ambush uh, Cloud Nine, to the point where like Cloud Nine probably had a feeling something was coming, right? Because like suddenly everyone just vanished. You don't see anyone. Right, right. And uh, and then TSM just like forced this forced this huge like um, you know team fight. Then they go in with a complete. Uh, it, it starts as a flank attack, but really quickly becomes a frontal attack because Cloud Nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, responded really, really well, um, and TSM probably spent too many spells in their initiation, sure. uh, and, and you know, the, the skip to the bottom of the page. They ended up getting just destroyed, uh, yeah. pretty much smoked there, and it was one of those things where like. Everything about it, from the decision to set up for that engagement uh, to the way the engagement unfolded, it just didn't feel. It felt like TSM finding a way to lose is is kind of how it, it read to me. Like, you just lost sure. a big team fight, uh, yeah. but you'd all respawned. Did you really need to force the fight right then and there? Uh, you know, Cloud9 still had an inhibitor that was really teetering. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you could have... There, there were a lot of ways you could have sort of spread them out or, or played the map a little bit. And instead, TSM were like, no... No, if we if we do another team fight, I'm sure we got it right this time. Uh, 
<laughs> and once again, they fought under uh, a, a huge uh, AOE from Balls and yeah, sure. uh, got crushed. So I, I think there, I think there's a lot of things that if you looked at what TSM were bringing to the table at the start of the season, you would have said, there's no way this team, once they sort of figure out how to live with each other, uh, doesn't just have too much raw ability to mm-hmm. eventually, if not run the table, to eventually be at the at the very top of the standings. And instead, what's happening is I, I feel like each team, each you know, each part of that equation is they're less than the sum of their parts, basically. That I feel yeah. like Yellow Star is less effective uh, than he's been in the past. I feel like Double Lift is less effective. I feel like honestly, Bjergsen is also really? being less effective. Uh, you know, in, in part just because if 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 you're the mid and you have issues in your in your other positions, a mm-hmm. lot of things sort of start to uh, become right. problematic for the mid laner. Right. But that was so. That's just my feeling. Is that overall, you know, you expected this team to at least be the sum of its parts and and possibly a synergy develop for it to become a lot greater. Uh, and instead, what you're getting is kind of a um. You know, it, it, you know, it may be a bit like when a when when a team when a traditional sports team like hires a bunch of stars that are sort of past their mm-hmm. expiration. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's an exciting team. Uh, everyone wants sure. to see it. Everyone wants to cheer for it because every player you know brings his own huge fan base. Uh, but it it may just not be that. Uh, it may not be as competitive uh, as as this roster would right. have been a year or two ago. Right, and it's, the, it's this notion that we talk about all the time with esports, this understanding that is, is pretty rare to, to find in the esports world, the understanding that uh, a team is more than just a collection of raw ability, uh, but is a group of people that either congeal in a, in a special way or don't. Um, and you can't just bring together the best people in every position and hope to completely dominate the entire league. Um, so, But be- before we get kind of too far along that track, I want to ask, like, is that your, your League of Legends match of the week? Because we already got like our, our one uh, Counter-Strike match of the week, which would be Australis versus um versus fanatic uh in the grand finals of uh esl barcelona but is this your your league of legends oh yeah hands down uh it was it was probably the most exciting uh league of legends match i've seen so far this season uh you know the only thing that was close to it maybe is it was that that time that immortals just horribly abused team impulse (laughs) (laughs) in, in the course of 18 minutes uh which was a different kind of a different kind of game Sure. But, so we we've talked a little bit though about uh, as at this point we talked about Immortals, we talked about uh, Solomon, a little bit a little bit about Cloud Nine. Um, but like one of the other big teams that were the, coming into this season, that I wanted to check in on and, and ask you about was was Team Echo Fox, which I hear is is doing uh, laughably bad. Uh, they were, uh, they were, but they've they've rallied quite a bit. And I actually I actually get uh, a little bit of hate mail for this from time to time uh, because <laughs> when when Echo Fox. Uh, Got its so I mean we talked about it a couple weeks on the show uh, where Echo Fox was really gutted by the fact that they ran into these visa issues. Uh, they lost their mid laner uh, Froggen Henrik Hansen, who's who's been sort of one of the elite mid laners for uh, really like four years in League of Legends mm. and was really the yeah, heart yeah. of this lineup. And so having him taken off the board uh, for for a couple weeks early in the season. Uh, really, really devastated that team. Then they also lost their top laner, uh, KFO. And it's got to just be a morale issue as well. Yeah, I mean, having to forfeit a game. There's one game they didn't even get to. They didn't even get to play it uh, yeah. be, because the, the, they they could not field a team with valid paperwork. Uh, so they. So I mean, it's, it's, it's it was a pretty brutal start to the season. And then the subs, like the substitutes, did not manage to win a game. 
Mm, um, which that's rough. It is, and uh, you know, I and I don't think it says a lot about the subs really, because the the issue is that <laughs> the reason the the Echo Fox team was was sort of built to succeed around the idea that Froggen was going to really bring something to the table, and if you take that out, like you know, there isn't as much of a spread uh, as you'd think in in terms of like raw ability in in uh, LCS teams. If you take you know some of the star veterans out of out of a team uh it's going to be really hard to to sort of hang tough and and echo fox ended up just kind of watching their early season slip away and i think they dropped like one and seven oh and so uh you know at this point you said they stabilized though yeah they they got their visa situation straightened out uh they're playing with the roster they always intended to have basically Mm -hmm. and since then they haven't lost a game uh, and I'm, I've actually gotten a fair number of messages <laughs> via email, Twitter, uh, Kotaku comments, uh, on other articles that have nothing to do with, uh, League of Legends, by the way, uh, people being like, uh, so when are you going to like apologize to Echo Fox or, you know, what do you, what do you think now, uh, that they're four and seven? But you say that you say they haven't, they haven't lost a game, but they've only won one game. Oh, uh, no, they've, they've won th- uh, four now, so they might be five and seven. Uh, oh, okay, okay. I, miss, I misunderstood that. I thought they were standing right now at one and seven. Oh, no, no, no. They, they, were, they were at one and seven. Okay, no, that makes total sense. But that's, that's pretty incredible, then. They're actually a, a really strong team, then, if they've won four in a row. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they're, they're really starting to come back. But the, but the issue is, I would also point out that in the four games they've played since this all got straightened out... Uh, I would also say they have not necessarily played the best teams uh, sure. around. So okay. right now they stand at five and seven. They've won four in a row uh, since their since their first game. But some of those wins have come against like Renegades, who have only won one game this entire season. Right, right. Um, they've beaten Team Impulse, uh, which has exceeded expectations by not being like totally terrible. Mm-hmm. But I again I feel like impulse are are really uh kind of a bottom tier team. Uh some of those wins have been good, but Echo Fox, I think to me, I, I really want to see them uh play some of the stronger teams. Now the issue is are they good enough to avoid relegation? Yeah, at this point it certainly looks like they're not going to fall into the relegation zone. Uh and, and they, they may even make the playoffs. Uh and that's partly down to the fact that so many teams sort of underperformed uh, the split, but really, I mean, it's it, it's it, you know, it's all kind of academic because the team that completely owns NALCS right now is Immortals uh, at, at twelve and zero, which it's it's sort of the Fnatic situation all over again, all over mm. again, right? Or the okay, Cloud Nine yeah, yeah. situation a couple seasons before that, where you have a team uh, that early in the season, from the moment they appear, are just categorically better than any of the teams they're facing. Uh, right. And the way it's structured right now, the way Professional League of Legends works, there really isn't a way for Immortals to find better opponents, uh, as far as I know. Certainly not better opponents yeah. in like a tournament setting. They will only see them maybe uh, at, at at a prearranged like midseason, uh, you know, interregional tournament. Um, so it's 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 really kind of a tricky situation for a team like Immortals because, you know, what 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 do the next eight months look like for them? Just beating yeah. up on a bunch of uh, North American teams that are good, but just not at that level. Right, at that absolutely. point, what does that what does that leave you for Worlds? 
Well, yeah, and it's a bunch of teams that that clearly have demonstrated that they don't they don't have the understanding of the games to, like strong enough to be able to force immortals to adapt and to and to create a new meta game, so to speak, um, in a way that will happen when they get on the world stage uh, at Worlds, which is uh, I, I would say pretty pretty disastrous. It's it's one of those things like in professional baseball how the uh, the wild card team, the team that's struggling to get into the playoffs, almost always is a huge threat. Uh, to actually win the World Series because the team that has to try really hard every single day and, and, and adapt their play on the fly is always going to be the more dangerous team uh, against the one that's kind of gotten like fat and happy off of easy victories. Yeah, and I don't think there's any eSport that's really solved this problem, right? And, and traditional sports don't have to solve it really because like World Cup teams are completely different species of team than like Premier or like, uh, what's the German league? Bundesliga or whatever. Sure, sure. Uh, but you know, like so, you have you have league teams, but they don't have to compete on this international stage against other teams. They're sort of the competition is sort of quartered off uh, from each other. E, like esports don't quite operate that way, and so you have these regional climates uh, that from time to time get sort of slammed together, and then you discover, oh, they're not all created equal, um, and that is not always the most exciting story. And I'm not sure, like League of Legends, I think used to be better about this back around season two. Uh, before a lot of things got codified and you had a lot of teams traveling around the world for these competitions now you know you get to you know you get to play with your uh, korean and chinese cousins uh for for you know a month out of every year that's you know that, that that's going to make it tough for uh for for teams in slightly weaker regions so so before we move on from league of legends though i want to ask one real quick if you had to make a guess right now who is going to come in second place behind team immortals who's it going to be this year Mm. The season, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I feel like it's going to be CLG. Uh, I, I feel like they've been sort of the most consistently strong out of the uh, the, the, the 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 teams sort of battling for second. Uh, TSM could easily sort of leap forward. Like it's it, you know it, it, we talk about like they they've underperformed and they've got a, a record hovering close to to fifty fifty, uh, but at the same time like they're only a game back. Uh, from from second place, so it's 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 really premature to write them off, and with Cloud Nine, it's it's difficult to say. Um, ever since Cloud Nine seemed to have accepted that they don't exist without High, uh, they've become a better team, and uh, <laughs> High like just having High there makes them a a much stronger team. Uh, so, but but at the same time, I just feel like overall, I feel better about CLG uh, sure. than I do about Cloud Nine. Uh, so we'll we'll take a look at that. We'll we'll keep an eye on whether or not uh, Team Immortals can hold on to their unbeaten streak uh, going forward in the in the coming weeks. But right now we have a one. We got a letter this week uh, from a listener, and we want to uh, take a moment to answer that question. Uh, we got a letter from John this week who asks: uh, Often, when a game like Dota uh, makes what appears to a uh, appears to me as a quality of life change, there is a rumbling that it it, it dumbs down the game or lowers the skill cap. Uh, when it comes to esports games, does accessibility come at the cost of the game's skill cap? Uh, even if accessibility changes do lower the skill cap, would it be damaging to pro-level play if the pool of potential players uh, rises from the top 0.01% to the top uh, 0.05% of all players? Uh, cheers, John. What do you think, Rob? Uh, in general, I think it, you're better off making those, those quality of life changes. Um, mm -hmm. There's always going to be rumbling uh, from, from sort of elite. Like people in general are resistant to change. Uh, mm -hmm. People who have mastered really finicky or frustrating skills or odd aspects of a game uh, are going to have an investment in, you know, those skills and will will probably 
resist any attempts to sort of mitigate the things that that lead sure. to those things being skills. Yeah, I I, I feel like um. So you know, a couple weeks ago, I did a story on uh, the the uh, Team Fortress Two competitive scene and whether or not competitive matchmaking can sort of resurrect it. And uh, you know, I was talking to uh, a a caster named uh, Sideshow, and he was talking about the fact that that competitive scene he doesn't think is really aware of just how completely uh, indifferent most casual players are to the competitive game. Uh, sure. the, competitive, okay. the competitive community has created this this really de- uh, demanding, uh, fussy form of, of Team Fortress Two that nobody wants to, nobody wants to play. They've had years uh, of people you know getting exposed to it, and those people decide, oh, this sucks. I don't <laughs> I don't want to play this. <laughs> um, and so you know when you haven't been able to convince uh, people to to sort of get on that bandwagon. Uh, at that point, you have to sort of question whether or not the the competitive form of the game, the highest skill cap form of the game, uh, does it really have the value you think it does? And and I think sure. like you had like when when it comes down between what the what the elite like competitive community wants versus what casuals want, in general, I think the the casuals probably need to win that win that argument. They don't need to completely yeah. win it, but if you're talking about these marginal things where this is a this is a fussy aspect of a game, but we can we can put in a patch or something and make it just a little easier, a little less opaque to people who are just getting into a game, that's a no brainer. Yeah. So I, what this makes me think about is that I, um, when he talks about raising the potential pool of players from the top 0.01% to the top 0.05%, I think that's what every esport wants to do. Uh, every esport wants there to be a, a larger pool of players who are amazing all at the very top trying to, to trying to best each other. You don't want a situation where it's the 0.00001%, uh, which is kind of what you have in Counter-Strike right now, where you have Fnatic, uh, which is just a team that's just better than everybody else, just flat out. Uh, I think you want a really messy, giant pool of players like full of different teams. Um, and I think League of Legends is kind of in, the, in that spot where you have this really rich, thriving challenger tier uh, full of, of really good, potentially effective teams if they got their stuff together uh and and a number of teams like a, a whole league of teams from each different region it's really great it's really flourishing um what you don't want to confuse that with the but you do you can't you're not going to affect that by making the game easier for new players to get involved. Like you, you should absolutely do everything you can to make the experience as painless and as non-opaque as possible for the for the new beginner. Um, and that's something that Counter Counter Strike is kind of the the poster child for this because they did that really really well um, with Counter Strike Global Offensive, where they kept like the really top skill level tier uh, intact, but lowered uh, the barrier to entry for a lot of new players who didn't have to learn weird sort of like esoteric skills like they had to do in Counter-Strike uh, Source 1.6. So yeah, thanks, John, for your letter. Uh, we always appreciate getting those. If anybody else has a question, you're free to uh, email us anytime at questions at esports.today. Uh, but that's enough for about the games of esports today. Let's get to esports tomorrow. Uh, it's finally here. Like we, we finally get to talk about the Shanghai Major. Uh, we've been alluding to this. It's kind of dominated our minds in, in terms of dota 2 for for like a month and a half or, or two now like professional dota 2 has been in an absolute cryostasis leading up to this event so it's it's tremendously exciting to to finally have this thing get rolling and see what what the teams have been working on kind of in secret like there's kind of been a like it almost seems like a um 
like almost like a boot camp going on in the background like we usually have for the international uh, where teams are strategically working on these these different things these different strategies that they're going to pull out for this main event uh, without letting anybody know about them uh, and so in a couple of days the show will get started with the group stage which begins on the 25th of February uh, and and frankly this is like a really exciting tournament uh, for me in particular, uh, because there are absolutely no favorites to win this thing right now. Uh, like the best odds are probably still with evil geniuses. Um, but I feel like the, like the last few months in particular have really shaken up professional Dota so much that nobody really knows who the best team is anymore. Okay, but are there... Like there have to be some big standouts, right? I'm gonna make you commit to something, uh, and like say, like give give us a top three, like the 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 three teams that like we should be watching for uh, to to probably win this tournament. All right, fine, I'll do it. But I'm going to preface this again with the fact that Dota is insanely complicated, and everything that I say is going to be exactly wrong. So whether I predict this correctly, I am correct. Uh, so I'm hedging my bets here. Uh, so I do have a few teams that I think are most likely to end up with podium finishes. Um, but this it's really hard to say because you never know what team's going to surprise you. And in Dota, there are always going to be like two teams in this tournament that come out of the gate and are going to. No one's going to have thought they were going to do well and they're going to do amazing. Uh, but right now, I would actually I would start with Evil Geniuses um, as as one of my picks. I, I think they've gotten a lot of flack uh, for their string of like second, third place finishes um but as i've said so many times in the show um their ability to constantly finish in the top three is one of the most impressive and consistent things i've ever seen in professional dota um usually teams kind of crash and burn after they win uh, the international they work so hard to get there and then teams study how to beat them so hard that they have no chance of actually doing anything later um but eg has managed to stay at the top of, of professional dota this entire time which is really really uh fantastic uh so this narrative of eg being the team that kind of fell apart after the international is patently ridiculous and i wouldn't be surprised at all to see them win another major in shanghai uh the catch that the caveat that i will add is that arteezy absolutely has to show up for this tournament like he's been ridiculed as sort of the curse of evil geniuses and it's kind of been suggested that uh he doesn't play particularly well under the enormous like pressure that these huge events can exert on a, on a player um but it's not negotiable uh if eg are going to win then rtz has to be like the monster that everybody knows that he can be when he plays to his fullest ability um but beyond eg uh things get a little bit murkier um We've got Team OG, which is uh, a lot of a couple of refugees from the old Fnatic organization uh, from back in like 2014. Uh, team OG won the Frankfurt Major uh, just a couple months ago, uh, and are still like this really really dangerous team with a ton of a ton of potential. Uh, and since their win, their big win in November in Frankfurt, they've kind of been hovering similar to EG. They've kind of been hovering around the second, third, and fourth place area uh, in lots of these sort of premier tournaments. Um, but yeah, there's every possibility that this sort of uh, team of veteran European players could win another major. Uh, and so those two are, are the big one, the big ones for me. They seem the, like the most obvious to just kind of come out and, and dominate everything. EG is maybe a little bit more of a long shot because they're so obvious and teams are going to be studying so hard specifically to beat them and specifically to like take advantage of Arteezy and to shut down Sameo and all these different things. Um, and so the, the, the third, I guess... Um, is probably kind of a toss-up between eHome uh, and Alliance. Uh, frankly, I personally think Alliance has the edge, uh, but eHome kind of deserves an honorable mention because they seem like the strongest team coming out of China for this tournament. Um, but yeah, Alliance has is is been another team that's like 
quietly become a force, just like Ehome. Uh, they won a huge tournament in China in December for nearly a $400,000 payday. Uh, and then they won Star Ladder just a few weeks ago as well for another $120,000. Uh, so Alliance is really on a roll, and, and then they could pull off something big uh, at the Shanghai Major. Uh, anyway, that'll do it for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs podcast produced by Michael Hermes. Until next week, if you have any esports questions like John did this week, you can shoot them over to us at questions at esports.today. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off.